Amen. Last week I capitulated that we all, to really appreciate the life and freedom and flourishing that we desire, and I'll just lay it on you, we metaphorically need to die. That That is really the call, right? When we think about the fact that Jesus loves his church so much that he gave his life for it, on the back side of that, the invitation from Jesus then is for you too, and for me, and for us to come and die. And then scripture says to pick up our cross and follow Jesus, to practice the will and way of Jesus. And that preaches really well. (laughs) But how many of you know, since last Sunday to this Sunday, it's a little difficult to live. No amens. What's up with that? Because we recognize the soberness of that invitation. Because I I don't know about you, but the Kuhn family, my wife's back there serving in the kids, but if you know her, the Kuhn family, like we have some ideas about where we're headed, right? There's, there's things that the Kuhn kids, we tell them, Kuhns don't do that. Kuhns do this. We're trying to teach my, my nine-year-old yesterday about a a little bit of a work ethics. We had him outside and, and working on the, pulling weeds and scooping stuff like, and he's like, he thought he was, he thought he was going to (laughs) die. Dad, can you help me? I'm like, I'm I'm offering to pay you, son. I'm not going to help you. I'm going to go watch football. (laughs) Why do you think God gave me kids? I'm just kidding. That's a terrible philosophy. Don't parent your kids like that. But we do, like, we recognize, like, in this culture that we find ourselves... Everything is vying for your heart. Even good things can get in the way of what Jesus said are great things. And so his invitation last week was that that we would come and die. That Mitch would lay his life down so that he could find it. And again, it preaches well, but it is an entirely different thing to live it. And so I thought this week it would be important for us to come and look at a scripture that would show us, that would describe to us what that kind of life looks like. The life that in John's gospel Jesus called an abundant life. A life that would bear much fruit. Not just a little bit of fruit, but much fruit. But even last week we looked and said, don't get tempted to think that this is your to-do list this week because it's the fruit of the what we're after. Spirit, right? That's not a to-do list. Like I need to work on my, I need to work on my patience. That's true. And you should, but you're not going to get where God is taking you and you're not going to get where God's inviting you to on your own strength. You can't. It's impossible. And so 
as I reflected on that throughout this week, I realized that we, we're going to need to look specifically at what that kind of life looks like. And so like a magnet, I was drawn to the letter of Romans. And Paul's letter to these people that he longed to go to, that he longed to come and preach the gospel to, and that he didn't get to go and preach the gospel to. And so Romans is unlike the Apostle Paul, his other letters to places like Corinth, which were addressing a specific church with a specific issue. No, Romans is a little different because Romans is one long sermon about the gospel. It's Paul's magnus opus, if you will. It's, it's what he wanted every Christian who would ever live to know. We, we believe that the, the Bible is inspired and inerrant and infallible. That, that literally Paul wrote what God would have him write. That, that God breathed through the pen of Paul so that we would have exactly what we needed to not be confused about what we're capable of and what God's capable of. Because as we know, God's the first mover. The Bible says while we were dead in our trespasses and sins, Christ died for us. And so we didn't make the first move to God. He made the first move to us. We celebrate that every week in communion that God would participate with us is mind-blowing, and we're going to do it again today. We celebrate that in baptism, that God's the first mover, that it's the picture that we were dead and buried, and yet Christ raised us to life, a new kind of life, the old gone, the new come. And I could keep talking about that because it's awesome. and It's what we get to do, but as we come to Romans... I mentioned it's not like Paul's other letters. It's, it's one long sermon. And so if you want to jot some things down, uh, I think these are going to really help us as we keep moving towards what it is that God is calling the church to do in this cultural moment. But in this long sermon, I think Paul does three things. If you were to break the book of Romans into three categories, chapters 1 through 3, simply diagnose us. They diagnose us. As you read chapters 1 through 3, you get a very clear picture of humanity. Trading in the things of God for a lie. And if, if we were to get super granular and honest with each other, we could all come up with that list of things that we are prone, what's the old song say? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. That every one of us has a sin nature in us that has to be put to death, right? That, that we ought to nail it to the cross, as the word says. And so we could all go there. So, so as you look at Romans, you, you see that. You see that God, diagnose, God diagnosing the problem. And... Let, let me just, to help us get our mind there, this won't be on the screen, but in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, I just, I want to give you the right picture before we get to Romans 12, because it's not all fluffy cats and stuff like that, weird stuff like that. Verse 18 of Romans chapter 1 says this, for the wrath of God, well that's not popular, but it's there, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, not just those people out there, 
us. That we were sinners too. We are sinners in need of the grace of God. Against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them. That's why we say every week here that the problem in our culture, the problem inside the church, is not one of science and history. It's one of lordship. Right? Like, We'll take the miracles. We don't want the rules. (laughs) Suppress the truth because God shows it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that we are without excuse. And he goes on and on to explain that. And you can read that on your own. But then... After the diagnosis, you get to chapter 4 through chapter 11. And this section, I'll just call it the deliverance section. So after God diagnoses us, and it's the thing that separates Christianity from every other religion in the world, is that it didn't stop with diagnosis, but it moved to deliverance. And so you just need to do yourself a favor and read all of Romans chapter 8 this week. If there's any part of you that struggles in this culture or struggles to follow Jesus or practice his will and way, just do yourself a favor. And as soon as we're done here, like go read Romans chapter 8. Turn it on on your phone and let the Bible app read it to you on the way home. Because if you go and you listen, it says this, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That God has delivered us in spite of us to the glory of his name. Incredible. Who shall bring anything against God's elect? Any charge. So he diagnoses us. He delivers Jesus to us. And then as it turns in chapter 11, we get a description of of what that life looks like. What happens when grace comes into your life and begins to flow out of your life? What, what does the new life that Paul writes to other churches look like? What does it mean when the old passes away and the new comes? What does that look like? We begin to see what that looks like in chapter 12 through the end of Romans. But I want to just walk carefully through Romans chapter 11, or not 11, 12. But you have to catch the end of 11 to grasp where we're going. So, again, this won't be on the screen, but I want to read the last few verses of 11, and then moving forward it will be. But here's what chapter 11 ends. So remember, this is the end of the deliverance section as he's going to turn us to what does that look like in our life. So here's what he says. You might want to just close your eyes and refresh yourself in this. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom of God and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who can be his counselor? Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him... 
and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Amen. I hear you online. I believe in it. I mean, we could stop there. Let's go. <laughs> like, we could. But God's gracious enough to show us what that looks like. What does it look like if that's true? If that's true and I really can lay down my life, no matter how great I think it is or how well I think I can run it, <laughs> I can lay that down knowing who's been God's counselor. How unsearchable are his ways. I can lay my life down knowing that I'm going to find something on the other side of that that satisfies the deepest longings of my heart, the deepest longings of my soul, the things that I've been chasing after, the things that I've set up idols in my heart, that I've put walls around me, I can lay all of that down because all things are from, for, and through, and to God, and to Him be all the glory. And yet, it's the depth of His riches and kindness toward us that make that incredibly good news and not bad news. Powerful. So then it turns to chapter 12, and I want you to write three things down. But as you get ready to do that, I want you to think about a quote with me. And it's going to be on the screen. There's a, a preacher and writer that I love to listen to and read his stuff. He, he said this statement. If you want the life of Jesus, right? Abundant life. Sign me up. If you want the life of Jesus, you have to then adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. And that is where Christianity loses a lot of us. Just being real. He said some crazy stuff. <laughs> like, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And if you don't, like, we don't have any fellowship. Like, we're, we're not going to get along if you won't eat my body and drink my blood. The scripture says a lot of the crowd exited stage left because it's, it's a different calling. And so I want to give you three things here in Romans chapter 12 that I would call three pillars to your life as a Christian, to our life as a church community. Three pillars, three foundational things that... that can't be ignored about the Christian life. That, that, if, that if, we'll, if we ignore these things about laying our life down, we are not going to flourish as a human or as a Christian, a follower of Jesus, practicing the will and way of Jesus. You, you will not, I will not, we will not flourish in this life. The first one is this, if you're taking notes. Practicing the way of Jesus requires radical sacrifice. Radical sacrifice. And I hesitated to use the word radical because it comes with like this connotation like radical. Like, that's not what I'm saying. It's actually far less attention-grabbing than the word itself. 
radical sacrifice looks like this. Look at the first two verses of Romans chapter 12. It says, here's Paul. So he just said, to him be glory forever. Amen. End of thought at chapter 11. And then he shifts this gear and says, here's what this looks like. Here's what no condemnation in Christ looks like on the ground with your neighbor. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. Again, not a to-do list. What does it say? By the mercy of God. The fact that you can even do this next thing, Paul says, is by the sheer mercy of God. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. What does it look like to come and die and pick up your cross? By the mercy of God, present your body as a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. What does that mean? What does that look like? Verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Practicing the way of Jesus requires radical sacrifice because that scripture, apart from the mercy of God, is really difficult. Dare I say impossible. That, that it goes one step beyond just being a good person. Into radical sacrifice. What what does it mean to not be conformed to this world? What does it mean to present my body as a living sacrifice? We probably just need to sit with that through the week. What 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 does it mean for me? To be transformed by the Lord. To discern the will of God. That, that's going to take more of our time than we're probably giving it. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his writing, The Cost of Discipleship, said it this way. And I just, just listened. <laughs> Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Not only do the followers of Jesus renounce their rights, is that appropriate in our moment? A lot of talk about our rights these days. As a Christian, he says, we renounce our rights, but we also renounce our own righteousness too. They get no praise for their achievements or sacrifices. They cannot have righteousness except by hungering and thirsting for it. This applies equally to their own righteousness and to the righteousness of God on earth. Always they look forward to the future righteousness of God, but they cannot establish it for themselves. Those who follow Jesus grow, I love this, grow hungry and thirsty along the way. We use the phrase around here, already but not yet. 
we've tasted and seen that God is good, but it's not yet fully fulfilled because we look around and we see the brokenness. So we celebrate what's good. We draw near to what's broken. And then God's invitation to us is to participate in the future that he's building through his church. But make no mistake about it, practicing the way of Jesus requires radical sacrifice. There's, there's just no other path, right? That is the narrow path that leads to life and few people find it, Jesus said. Broad is the path that leads to destruction and lots of people find it. There's just no way around the fact that the way of Jesus requires sacrifice. And I'll just be honest with you as your pastor, like, so difficult. So difficult to truly lay down your life, to truly present your body as a living sacrifice because there's so many things I want. Hard. Hard. So how do we get there? How do, I, how do I get there? I mean, I know it's the mercy of God, but he provided a way to get on that narrow road. And it's the second thing that Romans 12 lays out for us. So if you're writing things down, write this down. Practicing the way of Jesus requires or invites us to radical community. Isn't it amazing that on the heels of 12, 1, and 2, he immediately launches into how we relate to each other? That's, that, that's not a mistake. It's the mercy of God that even brings us into the conversation. And then he says to us, you are not going to flourish by yourself. You're not going to. So look what he says, starting in verse 3. He says, For by the grace, there it is, what does it say? By the grace given. Again, God moving. (laughs) God moving. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, here we go, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. And here we go. For as in one body, we have many members. Us, those online, one body, Redeemer City Church. We could extend that to our city and our nation and our world. One body of Christ. We say the capital C Church. We want all of it to flourish. It's not just about Redeemer City Church. It's about every church that dots the landscape of our world. And specifically for us in Tampa. We want every single church to flourish. And so we can't think more highly of ourselves than we ought. But we're doing it better than them. No, that that is not the point. It's not the point. He keeps going. Each according to measure of faith, God has assigned. Verse 4. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not have all the same function, so we, are, we though many are one body in Christ, and individually, listen to this statement, 
this is radical community. Individually members of one another. So what does that mean? If you disengage from part of the life of the church, we lose a limb. So if you disengage from the life of the church, whether it's this one or a different one, it, it's like we lost our knee. You're like, but I don't, I don't do a whole lot. I'm not very visible. Like, I wouldn't be up here in the same way if I didn't have a voice box. And well, we could go on and on, right? We're individually members of one another. It, it, it's, it just, we're a body. And to lose a body part is not cool. And so he keeps going. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. So Jerome talked in the video about serving. Why should you serve? To love and serve each other. Like, we, we don't need more of a point than that. Like, why are some people back there teaching our kids about Jesus and showing them the will and way of Jesus back there while we're out here? Because they want to serve our kids. They want to serve our parents. And they want to help shape because we know that out in the world there's things vying for their attention, vying for their heart, telling them that this stuff is crazy. And it is. It's crazy that God would love me that much. And so we serve according to the proportion of our faith. And he lists all those things. And then he says we should all do it. End of verse 8 with cheerfulness. Not only should I serve, but I should be really happy about it. Another thing. I struggle with because <laughs> we're, we're, we're human. But this is radical community because you keep going on like as if that's not enough. Look at verse nine. Let love be genuine. Don't fake it. Don't fake it till you make it. Hold fast to what is good. We talk about see the good in every situation. See the good when you're tempted to see the bad, choose to see the good. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Here we go. Verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Okay, I can do that. Outdo one another in showing honor. Like we get the love. I'll love you. What does it mean to outdo somebody in showing honor to them? It's like a competition. Some of you, some of you like competition. There is competition in the Bible. It looks like this, though. Not who can get to the top first, who can get to the bottom first. I'm just saying there's this radical sacrifice and this radical community that doesn't look all that radical, but it changes everything. And I'm wrestling through that myself. Like, what does it look like for us as a church to live in that kind of way? powerful verse 11 don't be slothful in zeal be fervent in spirit serve the lord rejoice in hope be patient in tribulation 
Be constant in prayer. 21 days is great, but constant in prayer. Verse 13, you thought he was going to leave your wallet alone. Verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints. I'll just leave that one right there. And seek to show hospitality. Why? What did Jesus say? Follow the money. Where your treasure is, that's where your that's where your heart is. And we all know that. Where is it most difficult for you to part with your money? Where is it most difficult for me to part with my money? We have to train that. We have to disciple that. We have to follow Jesus in that. Or it will consume us. And so, that's radical community. Lay your life down. Pick up your cross. What does that look like? To sacrifice yourself as a living sacrifice. To not be conformed to the world. To be transformed by Jesus. And to do it in this context of community that looks unlike anything happening in our world. That's how. That's it. That's all, that's all you got to do. No big deal. No, why do, we, why do we have to be in community with each other? Because we're not going to do that on our own. We're just not. Like, I know me. By the time Wednesday rolls around, I feel pretty good about me again. And then I have my city group over on Thursday. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah. I'm not all that. And we, I could, we could talk about millions of examples. I'm just going to trust that you're tracking with me. That, that we just, we get it. We get it. So what's the third invitation then? The third invitation here is an invitation to practice the way of Jesus invites us to radical humility. Because at the end of the day, that's what ushers in this kind of posture. That's what ushers in this, like, each one of us needs to not think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. He goes even farther. Look at verse 14. He says, bless those who persecute you. But I'm right. Doesn't matter. It's not what it says. What does it say? Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Y'all, I'm not ready for that. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Oh, doesn't that sound beautiful? Doesn't that sound like human flourishing? If we can just stop worrying about what other people think of us and start thinking of them, not what they think about me, that's human flourishing. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Who do you choose to spend your time with? 
associate with the lowly. Never. (laughs) Here we go with those ultimatums that scripture throws out, right? Never. Like there's, there's never a time where this is okay. Never, ever. Never, ever, ever. You follow me? Never. Never. Wow, what a word. Never be wise in your own sight. This keeps getting worse. <laughs> like, I'm on with the love stuff. But never, never be wise. Like, I've got a good idea once in a while. Come on. Never. What does that even look like? I don't know. Like, have, have, we, have we ever seen that outside of Jesus Christ of Nazareth? There's a few through history that have been pretty close. But man, like I get, I'll be annoyed with my children by this afternoon. And, and I get it, like part of that is just the confession that we make in Jesus, right? Like that, that I am not, that's why we need Romans 8 before we get to Romans 12, right? What can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? Not a single thing. Praise be to God. Right? That's why chapter 11 ends, to him be the glory forever. Never be wise in your own sight. Wow. Here we go again, verse 17. You thought I was done. Repay no one evil for evil. But give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Every decision you make, what is honorable in the sight of all? Not who's right, not, not will it help me, not any of those things we are taught and discipled in our culture to do. Who's right, who's wrong, who's successful, who's not. This news, that news, terrible idea. <laughs> terrible idea. Every decision you make, what is honorable in the sight of everybody. Wow. If possible, so he's conceding that it's not always possible, but if possible, live peaceably with all. Beloved, here's never again. Never avenge yourselves but leave it to the wrath of god for it is written vengeance is mine i will repay says the lord some of us we have to stop driving (laughs) never avenge yourselves (laughs) my son's like that's you buddy (laughs) it's the problem with having your kids sit in church with you (laughs) start preaching stuff like this and they've got ammo from the back seat Wow, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. Verse 20, to the contrary, this is, why it's, this is why community is radical. Look at this. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you'll heap burning coals on his, heads, on his head. And then an incredible verse. In verse 21, why is all this community stuff so important? Why is that kind of radical community so important? Look at verse 21, because it's always bigger than us. 
there's a spiritual war going on. Right? Look at verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The way up is down. Radical sacrifice. Radical community. Stemming out of a radical humility because there's a spiritual war going on. But it's a war that has already been won. And that, that's like, what does it mean to rejoice in hope? How can I live in harmony? Because at the end of the day, Jesus has already triumphed over Satan. He has already won that battle. And so you, you don't even have to dabble in any of those things. You can simply, we say it all the time, vision up. Then the Holy Spirit will do the vision in and then vision out. You can look with God at your city, at your neighbors, at your family. But it stems out of, oh, the depth of the riches and goodness of God. Wow. Radical. It's so radical, not because it's so attention-grabbing. It's so radical because it's just altogether not how this culture disciples us. And so the only thing I know to do in response to that is go to the Lord's table. Like, there's, there's no other way to do it. Because we can't. I mean, you just run through that list, and I know I was joking, but at the same time, I'm not. Like, which one of us never does that? It's just, but for the grace of God, right? That's what Paul said. For by the grace given to me, I'm going to appeal to you about these things. By the grace of God. And so we go to the place where God says he'll participate with us. So grab some of those communion elements near you.